Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. The epistle of 2 Timothy, you remember, is the last letter Paul the Apostle writes before he dies. And this is the part of, I'll keep drilling it till you won't ever forget this, that this is so important that when you get down to the things that are the last things of a God-fearing man, he's not going to be shooting the breeze, so to speak. Small talk. Think of the person dying on their bed and they know they're going to die. What do they want to say? Do they sit there and go, how's the weather? No. They tell the things that are the real pearls. We're going to go on into chapter 3, and Paul's going to use an example from the Old Testament about some guys that were opposing the work of God. And these guys, they were violently opposing. They're actually stumbling the people. God is at work setting people free, and they're making it worse on the whole situation. And you think, how could anyone possibly do that? You know, what kind of mindset could come up with, let's make it worse on the guys that need to be set free? I look at this and I think, you know, this is really good part to study because you'll see the mercy of God and yet you'll see the reason why people even get there like this. And Paul, he knows it. This is chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this or know this. To know, you have to learn. In the Greek, it's gnosko. It's a word that means to come to know something like you study in depth. This word to know, and Paul tells Timothy, but know this. Now, he's just told them, be patient with these folks and kind and hoping that God could grant them repentance. But know this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And for men will become lovers of self and lovers of money and boastful and arrogant and revilers and disobedient to parents and ungrateful, unholy. They become unloving, irreconcilable, or if you have a King James Bible, unforgiving. That's what irreconcilable really is. If you're unforgiving, you can't be reconciled. You want to make sure you don't reconcile a marital spat? Just don't forgive them. Some people are pros at it. And you carry around unforgiveness. Who's it eating? You. I have learned a long time ago, you don't want to give someone else the power that you're going to have over you. Some people don't realize this. When you don't forgive someone, do you know that you're carrying around that thing that they did, they harmed you in some way. They hurt you. They threw a rock at you. People that don't forgive don't even realize that there's an actual physical consequence to their body. It starts wearing them. The mental energy required to remember that who wronged you here and who wronged you there, and pretty soon you've just spent. You start sketching out. You can't concentrate on today's duties because I'm trying to keep track of who threw what rock. And, oh, yeah, the, the, the label's fading off of that one. I better rewrite that. And pretty soon you can't sleep at night. And you know what? As simple as this. Jesus says we're to love one another and we're to forgive one another. Now, remember, Peter, how often should I forgive him, Lord? Up to seven times? Now, you might think that that's not very good by Peter's standard, but seven in the Jewish culture, was the number of completion, a complete set, like seven notes in a scale, you know, the whole notes of a, a music scale, or seven days in a week. In the Jewish mindset, if you said seven, you were saying, should I forgive him like seven times completely? And what was Jesus' answer? Up to seven times 70, 490. Now, that's times a day. 
And you know what it's going to do? It's going to bless you. Because you're not going to be porting that around with you. It's not going to be wearing you down and, and sketching you out. But Paul says, you got to realize this. In the last days, it's going to become difficult times. Because men will love themselves. And they'll love money. And they'll become like this, boastful and arrogant and revilers and disobedient. When men turn away from loving God and start loving themselves, they become irreconcilable, unforgiving. They become malicious gossips without self-control. They become brutal and haters of good. They actually will hate good. You could probably think of some who've done it. They become treacherous. They become reckless. They become conceited. Another translation, well, actually from the Greek, is drunk with pride. We say conceited, but in the Greek is actually the word teos, which is filled to excess with pride. Drunk with pride. They've got it done. They know more than anyone else could ever know, and they're so great, and pride creeps in. and They become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do you think we have that going on in our society? For sure. Hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Paul says, and avoid such men as these. Now, he just got done saying, refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. Refuse them. There's a time to say, you know what? I refuse to, to argue with you about that. You want to talk about other things? Fine. But you want to come up with ignorant and foolish speculations? You know, I'm not going to waste my time. You're allowed to say that. The ones that fit this general description, you can probably think of a few folks that might fit in this. He says, avoid them. Is that really allowed in a Christian faith? Some person that comes along that's a lover of self and lovers of money and boastful and arrogant and reviling and and they come walking down the sidewalk right there at Lowe's right toward you, and you see them coming, what are you supposed to do? Avoid them. You can pretty much figure out what to do in that moment. You don't have to run up and hug them. You see them coming, you take a left and out of here. Avoid them. Listen, here's some more insights in case you're not sure about what they're like. They are those that enter into the households and captivate weak women. Weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. These guys are going in and hitting on people that are already weak to make them captive, to captivate them, to take them into bondage. He says, watch out for these kind of guys. Always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. They're men of depraved mind. They're rejects as regards to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, as also that of those two came to be. These guys, Janus and Chambris, in the Greek, they're just translations for their names. Janus is Ianus. It's Greek for he vexed. How'd you like that for your name? What's your name? He vexed. What is your name? He vexed. In other words, the guy is a vexing kind of guy. And the other guy, Iambrus is Jambrus, we say in English. He's foamy healer. That's what it means in Greek. A foamy healer. Not phony. Foamy, like foam, like full of air, frothy, all air, but no substance. This is his name. Now you say, who's a foamy healer and a vexing dude that vexed people? In the Old Testament, 
And who are these guys? Now, we can find out the information who they are because it's listed for us in the Talmud that these guys happen to be working for this guy named Pharaoh. And it's found in Exodus chapter 7. They were the magicians. They were actually the soothsaying priests. Pharaoh had his own wise men, his own sorcerers, his own magicians, all surrounding him, telling him what he wanted to hear. The kind of guys that read the horoscope to you and tell you, oh, king, live forever, and you're going to have a great day, and in the stars, and tell the king what he wants to hear, because otherwise you lose your head. And Pharaoh wasn't known for being a really nice guy anyway. But he had these guys, Janus and Jambres, he vexed and foamy healer. He is a phony healer, actually, because, well, look at this story. Look what happens with these guys. This will help you understand what Paul is talking about. Remember, he told Timothy, just consider these things I'm telling you, and the Holy Spirit will give you the understanding. He wasn't going to give him the whole sermon about these two guys because he already knew Timothy had heard him teach it. But he says, just like those guys, to prick his memory, Timothy's, bing, the light goes on. There are guys that will be lovers of self and they'll go into the houses of women, weak women, to captivate them, to get them in bonds, just like these two. Now, what did these two do? Just like these two. Let's see what they did. Okay, here's these two. This is the story where Charlton Heston is sent in to Yul Brenner, let my people go. This is the, um, the real big part of that movie. He gets sent in, and he's sent from the Lord, and the Lord tells him, you go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, but he's not going to let my people go. So I'm going to do some signs to show myself to him before I actually get him to let my people go. And so in chapter 7, let's just pick up in verse 8 where the first sign comes to pass. It was the first thing that Moses and Aaron did when they went in before Pharaoh. Threw the staff down into a serpent, remember? This is it. The Lord spoke to Moses, verse 8, and to Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh, that it might become a serpent. The Egyptian worship, this is the power for the healing God. So he's like, throw your staff down. Okay. So he throws his staff down. Now later, Moses will be told when the children of Israel are complaining in the wilderness after he's let them free, they were starting to complain. Why is Moses the leader? Me, me, me. We hate this Moses guy. He got to brought us out of here to die. And the Lord said, Moses, make a bronze serpent. Put it on top of your staff. And when the people complain, I'm going to let the serpents bite them. And then, get this, I love this, to get the antidote to the venom of the snake. All they had to do is look at the bronze serpent on Moses' staff. A lot of ambulances on the side, you see one serpent because it became a symbol of healing. You got bit by a poison snake, you're going to die. What do you got to do? Look to the serpent on Moses' staff, and all of a sudden you were healed. Remember, now, these guys just came out of Egypt, 400 years of slavery, and the Egyptians had looked at these snakes as having a power for healing. Jesus is going to quote this in John chapter 3. He's going to say, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now Moses lifted up the serpent so that if you looked at the serpent and you were bit by a poisonous snake, you'd instantly be healed. But Jesus says, just like Moses lifted up that serpent, so I must be lifted up. So for all of us that have been bit by the snake of sin, the only way we're going to be healed is to look at Jesus. Here's the intro to Moses coming before Pharaoh to show off the power of God. God's going to meet Pharaoh where Pharaoh's at. 
They think this isn't a powerful thing, these snake gods. And he goes, fine, throw down your staff. Throws down his staff, becomes a serpent. But listen to this. And just as they had done this and commanded, he threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Verse 11 says, Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also the magicians of Egypt. And they did the same with their secret arts. For each one of them threw down his staff, they turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. And yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, the Lord already told Moses, you're going to do the sign, but he ain't going to believe it. Sometimes we wish we'd see a sign and that would help our relatives. If they just see a sign that God's real, then they'd believe. That's not true. Lots of people see signs and they don't believe. Pharaoh saw the sign and he didn't believe. But the magicians in the story here, this is Janus and Jambres. The two guys that threw down the staffs, those were the two guys that are named by Paul. You remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Before he came to the Lord, he was called Saul of Tarsus. He was very familiar with all of the Jewish writings and the rabbinical writings and the traditional writings of the Talmud. So he knew these names. He just tells it to Timothy, like expecting that Timothy already knew this from hanging out with Paul. He probably already did. So he just uses them as an example. But if you want to write a little note right here on verse 11, these magicians that threw down their staffs, that's foamy healer, that's Jambres. And Janus or Yanis is he vexed. So he vexed and foamy healer are the two dudes throwing their staffs down and their staffs just got swallowed by Aaron's staff. These two aren't done with their part in the story. The next part is God sends Moses back with another plague. The second plague to the children of Egypt would be the Lord taking one of their most worshipped thing, which is the Nile River. And they had a lot of their gods centered around the Nile and their understanding of life coming from the water and the crocodile. And they had all this, you should see the paganistic stuff they worship over there. So the Lord goes, well, we're going to hit them where it hurts. Moses go down there and takes the staff, touches it to the water, turns to blood. So the Lord turns the water, not just of the Nile. I just have to point this out from the book just so you know this. It says, so he touches the water. Verse 19, say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the water of Egypt and over their rivers and over their streams and over their pools and over all of their reservoirs of water that they might become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. When he lifted up his staff and that curse went to that Nile, it wasn't just to the Nile. It was to all the rivers, every bit of water in Egypt. Whether it was in a vessel, little wood storage pot over there with water or stone, everything in Egypt turned to blood, showing the power of God over everything. It's not just like a little hocus-pocus trick. What did Janus and Jambres do next? When Aaron holds the staff up and everything turns to blood, what did they do? Verse 20, so Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. They lifted up the staff, struck the water that was in the Nile in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, and all the water that was in the Nile turned to blood. And the fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. Just make a note here, all the land of Egypt. But the magicians, here we go, Janus and Jambres, come to the rescue. 
Verse 22 says, The magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. The Lord said he's not going to listen. His heart's going to get hard. But Janus and Jambres actually contribute to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. You have to look at this story. If God turned all the water to blood in Egypt, and Janus and Jambres go, well, you think that's good? We can do the same thing. That means they had to send to get water from outside of Egypt. Bring the water all the way to Egypt. Okay, we got a vessel of water. We had to send all the way up to the Jordan or wherever they went and got the water from. Bring it down to Egypt. And they get the water there. And here's these soothsaying priests really blessing the Pharaoh by saying, well, you think it's good that he did it? Watch, we can do it too. And they take the pot of water, what had to be transported in, and they do their hocus pocus and turn it to blood and go, see? And if I was Pharaoh, I would have been kicking them going, you idiot. Paul told Timothy, so their folly became known evident with their information. Information without an illuminating light of God's spirit to illuminate it, to reveal it to you what it is. I mean, I know some people that don't know anything about Greek or Hebrew and they read the word of God and God speaks to them in English. Can you believe it? They actually go, wow, I read this and it just spoke to my heart. And man, it just, it's like my heart's strength and I'm ready to go. You know what you just had? You had a revelation. His word became alive by his spirit to your spirit. And Jesus used to teach studies and say, let those that have ears to hear, let them hear. But the spirit is saying, may you have a revelation from his spirit, what he's saying. Because if I give you a whole bunch of information, you could always be learning and never come to the knowledge of the truth. Information, information, information. You get so pumped with information. It's information overload. But I've never had anyone come to me and say, you know, I had revelation overload. I had illumination overload. It just excited me so much about his word. I was just illumination overload. No, it doesn't happen, man. When God makes the word come alive, it's like it makes you want to learn more of his word and let it come alive to your spirit because it feeds your spirit. The more of his word that you get and it starts to speak to you, the more you go, wow, that spoke to me. What else has he got in here? That's the beauty of studying the word of God. It is living and active. He tells us to know or to realize. You know, use your mind and realize this. In the last days, it is going to become difficult. And there are going to be people like this. And we've got to just know it. Sometimes it'll help us cope with them because they're going to come around. There are guys like Janice and Jambres that are around even today. And God's trying to set people free and they're just trying to vex people. God's trying to do miracles to help their lives and they're just foamy healers. They're just imitating whatever God does and they can't even imitate on the scale that he can imitate. They're always below him. Their snakes got eaten by his snake. They get a little pot and they turn that little bit of water into blood. God turned the whole land's water into blood already. But Pharaoh's heart got harder. He went, oh. And that's what some people do. When people are just at that place where God's trying to show his power to deliver, the enemy comes along and mocks that power and says, I can do that too. But he can't. He doesn't have power to match God. His folly will be found out. Boasts that he has this power. Paul's going to talk about the real power. Where's the real power? 
it's in God. And Paul actually knew that power. He said, some people say, I'm not very impressive when I speak. I'm contemptible in my speech. I'm not that polished. I'm not that good looking. There's nothing written about Paul being this great looking guy, a great orator. In fact, there's a lot of stuff indicating he was not so good looking, had problems with his eyes, and he just wasn't really all that fun to listen to, and he's really long-winded. He talked so long. One time a kid fell asleep and died, fell down to the ground and died. You know what Paul did? He went over, and he prayed over the kid and brought the kid back to life. And then, get this, he doesn't get the, the thing. Man, I've been preaching all the way to midnight. I should probably stop now. No, it says he preached all the way until the sun rose. He didn't stop the sermon because a kid died because he was so long-winded. He just rose the kid from the dead and just continued preaching. But you know what he said? He said, these guys say they're so great. And he said, we'll see when I arrive who has the power of the Holy Ghost. He didn't say, we'll see who can preach a better sermon or who can hold their attention longer. We'll see who has the power. Because he knew that power. See, when you have the power of God, you got to understand, there are men out there, they're jealous you have the power. These magicians were jealous of Aaron. Moses was like, I, I, I stutter, Lord, and all right, all right. I'll tell you what to say to Aaron. Aaron will say it to Pharaoh. That's why Aaron is in the story, guys. He's just stuck there because of Moses' stuttering problem, and he has to do the thing. Now, so we can understand, there are going to be guys out there like Janice and Jambres that show up in the story. Maybe you're sharing the Lord with your buddy, and they really need to hear the gospel. And you, and you can see that, wow, they're so close to being set free. And then comes along Janus or Jambres, a reincarnation of them. You know, we need to realize this. Here's Paul telling Timothy, realize this, know this, gnosko. Know that there are going to be guys like this no matter where you go. Then you think, he's about to die. He's trying to tell his son in the faith. He calls so Timothy his son. And why is he making the emphasis that he should know this? Because this is a life lesson that we need to know. You could be busy helping someone. Some Janus or Jambres comes along and makes it worse on the situation instead of letting the person be freed. And you're going, what's going on? And you sometimes forget. I think this is a great word, Paul is saying. I think this is a pearl. At the end of his life, he's able to look back and say, you know, there are those guys, even as patient as you try to be in correcting someone when they're in the wrong and you want God to grant them repentance, you need to realize this. And that's why chapter 3 starts off with, but realize this, these guys are going to come. And he doesn't say anything more than to realize, to know. He must know Timothy, he must be arming him for something coming up. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, celebratethelord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. I am marching on Marching on to victory I've been commissioned
ambition for glory My triumph is without a doubt My light will not go out My enemy is starting to worry We are marching on Marching on to victory We can't be burdened by trifles We'll focus on the valuable Keep good available We're guiding all who will to revival We are marching on Marching on to victory Safe, rejoice our victory.